We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. I'd love for you to open up to what uh, was read to you earlier, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we're walking through. Sometimes whenever I teach and preach, they say you're crawling through. Uh, We don't get in a hurry a lot of times. Uh, We're walking through the book of Mark along with Tommy. We're just a little bit ahead of him. Uh, I say that with tongue in cheek. Nobody gets ahead of Tommy, uh, if you know what I mean. But we're uh, a passage ahead in the the gospel of Mark and Mark chapter 12, beginning with about uh, verse 13. And I titled this message tonight, Watch Out, It's a Trap. We are seeing in our world, right in front of our eyes, where we go to school, where we work, when we turn on the television, all of our social media, in churches, all over our land, wherever we go, we are seeing what is going to be read here tonight, what happened 2,000 years ago to Jesus. We're seeing it happen to our lives. The exact same thing. I'm convinced that the enemy's game plan has never changed. Uh, Satan in the beginning put doubt in Adam and Eve's uh, mind, has God said? And then he put lies in their mind, God is wrong, you will not die. And then he put uh, sinful uh, aspirations in their mind, you can be like God. Well, that's the same game plan that the the devil uses all the time. It hasn't changed. And the Bible teaches us, Jesus in the New Testament said, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is ultimately the the plan of the enemy from the Garden of Eden until the last moment that God allows him to be until he's taken out of the way. And by the way, I hope you've read the end of the book because he does not win. Satan does not win. But he will divide. He'll steal our relationship. He'll steal your peace. He wants to destroy. He cannot harm God, but he wants to in every way possible harm God's creation, and that's you and me. And one of the greatest weapons that he uses is division. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Uh, If you go right now to Israel, I've stood over the very area. There is a fault. We have San Andreas fault out in California. And I'm, I'm respectful to people wherever you live. But I just want to tell you, the San Andreas is not the only fault out in California. Um. We got plenty of our faults here in Texas too, by the way. But I've stood there on the Mount of Olives and there is a huge fault there that is a separation in the earth. And when I read in the scripture that talks about Jesus' feet standing on the the Mount of Olives again and there's gonna be a great chasm because that mountain's gonna split, it's already started. There's already a fault there. You remember that old, old hymn, There's Peace in the Valley? And that talks about running to the place where there was peace, where Jesus is at. Well, the enemy wants to divide. He wants to cause a rift, drive a wedge, make a fault. And what better place to do it than the church? What better country to do it than America? We're going to see in this passage as we take off that there are two different traps set for Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm country. I realize I'm country. Uh, we had a lady in, Lisa, that we uh, presented to you who's going to, a linguist. She's going to work with the Wycliffe Bible translators in another country. And so she studied languages. I asked her if she could help me with mine a little bit. 
<laughs> because I know I grew up in West Texas and sound a little country, but I also grew up out in the country. How many of you have trapped things before? Anybody trappers here? We got some. All right, some city boys know how to trap. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you got to trap some animals. You do. Maybe to take them another place. I want to tell you, you get a possum in your attic, you'll do whatever it takes to get that guy out of there. I'll guarantee you, you will. Traps are set to catch someone, sometimes to harm someone, sometimes to kill. And there are going to be two different traps. The first one's going to be political. Oh, do we have anything to say about politics today? I am not going to be political to you, with you tonight, but I'm going to be biblical. The second one is theological. You, can, you, uh, can you start an argument at your Thanksgiving dinner with your family talking about religion? Does it take very long just to, to mention something and all of a sudden your family's arguing back and forth and I believe this and I believe this? Two different traps set for Jesus, one political and one theological. And I want to tell you, those same traps, this became so clear to my heart, those same traps are set for you and me right now. And we got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap, the snare. Let's take off. It says in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, then sent some of the Pharisees. The first group is the Pharisees. Now these are the, probably the most strict observing uh, leaders of Jewish leadership during the day. They're the ones that are very, very narrow-minded. They are the sticklers for the law. They are what they would call themselves conservative, uh, not conservative the way we think of in our, in our world today. But uh, they had strict observance of the traditional uh, values of a Jew, of uh, the written law. They would commonly be held to have uh, pretentious that they're a little bit better than everybody else. This is the upper echelon of the religious people of Israel during the day. The Pharisees, top dogs, okay? That's the first group. And notice the word it says, they sent some. They're going to send somebody to Jesus not to hear the gospel, not to find out about Jesus, not to share the truth of God's word, even in the Old Testament with someone. They're coming on a mission, and they are what we would call a spy. How many of you grew up, I spy with my, what is it, my little eye? And you, that was our parents' trick on us, wasn't it? When we're going on a trip somewhere, how many things can you see outside the window of, uh, in my case, it was a station wagon? Young people, a station wagon was a real long car, and the seat, somebody had this great idea that the back seat, they would turn the other way. So you wouldn't be facing your parents driving the car, you'd be looking at the people behind you, and when you pull up to a stoplight, they come within a few feet of you, and you go like this, because you don't know what to do. You're looking out the back window of that station wagon. I was the second, the fourth of five children, so the two youngest ones. We were always in the back looking out. Uh, that stunted my life for a while. I think I've had to go to therapy for that, you know, because I was put in the back seat of a station wagon. But there were some spies sent. They're not there for a good purpose. They are to infiltrate. They are to catch Jesus. They are to set a trap for him. Look what it says. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians, these were people that followed Herod. 
Herod was kind of mixture. Herod had sold out to Rome. And he was really not liked by very many people because he wasn't liked by Jews and he wasn't liked by Romans because he had sold out and he was kind of uh, uh, playing both sides of the fence. But some of the Pharisees and some of the Rhodians, uh, all of them against Jesus, came, they were sent to him in order to trap him in a statement. That word trap, is, this is the only time it's used in the Bible. This is the only time right here is it's talking about just what you would do to trap an animal, to set a snare so an animal would be enticed to come into an area, a trap would catch them, and they are sent, they're spies in the camp, sent to try to trick Jesus. Remember the Pharisees and the religious leaders are jealous of Jesus, the blind man, who healed you to where you can see? I don't know who he is, but I know I was blind and now I can see. Don't you know that he was a sinner? I don't know whether he was a sinner or not. Where did he come from? You don't know where he came from? That's interesting. You mean you're the religious leaders of God and you don't know where this man came from? The spies came to try to trick Jesus, as they did all through the New Testament, trying to confuse him and convict him of sin. So it says, that word trap means literally to catch him. And it says the spies were sent. In the, the, the book of Jude, right before the end of the Bible, Revelation, uh, the Bible says that certain men crept in unaware, in one version. They were spies. They snuck into the church. They weren't really wanting to hear Jude's message. They weren't wanting to hear the, the pastor speaking or the Sunday school teacher teaching. They came in with an agenda. They wanted to cause problems. They wanted to divide. They wanted to split. If you're here tonight and you've gone through a church split, I want to uh, tell you I'm sorry. That is painful. It is painful. These are the people that are not supposed to treat you that way. And some of you who've been through that before or have experienced that very thing. A church hurt is a tough hurt to go through. The Bible says that there's some in the church, this is New Testament, that would sneak in and they would transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. And he's talking about Satan's crew. We think of Satan, we grew up thinking he wore a red suit and had a... a Fork tail and a pitchfork and everything. No, he comes in looking like an evangelist. He comes in looking like your Sunday school teacher. He comes in wanting to appear like a minister of righteousness, the best Christian you've ever met. That's how deceptive he is. And that's why he gets a lot done in churches today because he is a spy. We had a woke conference not long ago, and I'm grateful for Denton Bible, one of the few churches around this country that stood up. More are now, because they're realizing how deadly and how evil that, that is. But our pastor stood up before anybody else almost. Do you know one of the speakers, uh, Owen Strayan, very gifted young man, and I'm thankful for him. Haven't read his book yet, but I want to. Told us that even while that conference was going on, there were people that had come in the conference with the very intent to harm it, to find a flaw, to speak evil about it, to write articles about it, and they had they had uh, used social media. They came in as one of us, but they weren't one of us. 
So we need to be careful. Perhaps you've, you've had that happen to you. Have you ever had a spy in your family, in your school, in your business? You ever had somebody sneak in for the wrong reason? They can cause a lot of problems. So that's what they did. They, were, they sent this group from the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, and they didn't want to hear the gospel. They didn't want to see Jesus. They didn't want to ask him about heaven. They didn't want to ask him about how we can get over our sin and get sin out of our life. They wanted to trap him. Now, you and I, do we want unbelievers to come to church? Yes. We want them to come to be with us. You and I are supposed to be kind. The Father in heaven is, is gracious and kind. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Did you know the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? It's not me having my own opinion. I'm going to tell the whole world what I think on social media because I'm brave when nobody's standing in front of me. I'm sorry. There's so many times I've wanted to respond on social media, and sometimes I'll even write something and get ready to send that, and, I just, and it's just like the Lord says, ah, this isn't your battlefield. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. So they were coming to get Jesus, and I want to share with you tonight, they're coming to get us too. They're coming in our country. They've already done it in Europe and a lot of places. They're coming to destroy our church. And it's really not against us. It's really not against our churches. It's against Christ. It's the same enemy from the beginning. Has God said, wants to make us not believe this Bible. It's not true. The Bible is not true. That's what's being taught all over our land right now. Many of the older people in this room right here were taught exactly the opposite of that. And their parents surely were taught opposite of that but that has faded and it's not being taught today and I want to just propose to you tonight you and I do not need to be so naive that we can let the enemy divide us so easily I'll back that up with scripture let's go a little bit further um, verse 14 they came to, 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 in order to trap him in, in a statement. And they came and said to him, Teacher, uh, we know that you're truthful. Defer to no one, for you're not partial to any, but treats the, what, treats the, the, teach the way of God in truth. You know one of the things that these spies do? They come in hypocrisy. They come with, they come flattery. A man used to tell me one time, be careful about those who would always put their arms around you because they may be looking for the soft spot to put the knife. We've got to be careful sometimes. Not everyone that comes to us acting in a favorable manner is for our good. And that's exactly what's happened to Jesus right here. First of all, this is the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they say teacher. They did not believe Jesus was a teacher. They believed he was a false prophet. They believed he was a sinful man. So they've already started out a lie saying, teacher. Secondly, we know that you're truthful. They did not believe that. And the enemy's going to tell us things too to get us on their side. They're going to try to flatter us. They'll flatter your children. They're going to try to make it sound good. Don't you want to be with us? These people didn't even more believe that than anyone. Teacher, we know that you're truthful and defer to no one. You don't change your message. You, you, you're not going to be swayed by the opinions of people. 
They don't believe that at all. They're trying to do that very thing to Jesus right now. They're trying to sway him from the truth. And then fourthly, and you're not partial to any. They didn't believe that at all. They they believed Jesus was partial to those disciples that were following him. After all, he had said these ones will enter the kingdom of God and some of these very religious leaders are going to be thrust out of the kingdom of God. You know what that meant to tell a Jew that? A Jew believed that he was forgiven just because he was a Jew. God was his God of the Jewish people and that's why when John the Baptist came preaching the the baptism of repentance, they all believed, I don't need to repent because I'm a Jew. It's just like today, different denominations say, I don't need to repent because I was baptized into this church. I was christened as a baby. I was a member of this church, and I'm as sure for heaven as if I'm already there. I don't have to repent. I talked with a man one time about whether he was saved or not. He said, oh, I got that done a long time ago. Like that's something you do, get it over with, and you don't ever have to visit it again. That's not the way it is. So these people are here, teacher, we know you're truthful. You defer to no one. You're not going to be swayed by the opinions of man. You're not partial to any, but you teach the way of God in truth. Every thing they said was true. They just didn't believe it. Oh, Mike, you're just the, the best pastor I've ever seen. You're a wonderful shepherd. You, 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 can, you, man, you can really preach. I've had people say that to me, and they don't mean it. They don't mean it for a second. They want me to do something for them. Now, that's not you guys. I'm grateful. You're honest and say, that's the worst message I've ever heard. I don't think you're that great. But they were trying to flatter him, trying to trick Jesus in any way they could. It's interesting. Everything they said was true about Jesus. They just didn't believe it. Jesus talking about the Pharisees. Matthew 23 is a great place to read. He said, all they tell you to do, do it, but just don't do what they do. Notice what what he goes on to say. Uh, Is it lawful what they say? Is it lawful? Now, what law are they referring to? Are they referring to the national law of Israel? No, they're referring to the law of God. Is it lawful, according to the scripture, the Old Testament, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? You want to really start an argument, start talking about politics. We could do it here tonight. We could just really have about 40 different opinions, about 40 different causes, and you you could be very passionate about those things, and you could probably be right in your opinions in a lot of ways. But if we're not careful, we fall into the trap, just like these guys try to set for Jesus. Watch this. I can divide them in a few seconds. Just bring up this topic. Just bring up this topic. These people over here will get so passionate. These people over here will get so passionate about what they believe. These people over here won't agree. I was sitting as a little boy in a church that I grew up in, and I never knew that adults could argue like they did over the hymn book that we were going to use in our church. Some people have the audacity to want to use a new hymn book that hasn't been around for 500 years. And it was a huge argument. I couldn't believe it. They argued one day about the color of carpet to put in the building. And I'm thinking, wow, 
I knew my brothers and sisters, we argued back and forth, but I just didn't know church adults did that. Well, I want to be real honest with you. I think the devil loves that. I think the enemy loves that. If I can divide them over that, how easy. They come to Jesus and they say, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Now, this thing they chose, they chose it strategically because you know what the poll tax was? It was a tax for being a Jew. The Romans levied it. They collected it from the Jews. You're talking about racism just for being a Jew. And guess where all the money went? Straight to the emperor. If you would have had a cause that day to be passionate about, I don't want to pay tax to that guy. I don't want to give him my money. I don't want to give him the money God's provided for me just because I'm a Jew. Everything about this is wrong. Well, they picked a good question to ask Jesus. Because in their way of thinking, if Jesus says, uh, yeah, you need to pay taxes, it's going to make the Jews mad because that's a Jew tax. You're going to get people fired up on this other one. If they say, no, you shouldn't have to pay taxes, we got him. Because Rome can cause him to be a, a, a lawbreaker and we can throw him in jail. Do you see? They picked a really good topic there. Because everybody had an opinion about whether to pay the poll tax to Herod or not. But they just forgot something. They are trying to catch the creator of the universe in a trap. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the god of eternity past and eternity future. He is all-powerful, Jesus says at the end of Matthew. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Pontius Pilate said to you, don't you know that I have authority, I have power to release you? Jesus said, you don't have any power over me unless it was given to you from above. It's not a good idea to try to argue with the one who made you and created you. Now, some of the Jews, I want to tweak this just a little bit. They refused to pay it because I could argue this part, uh, this part. If you pay that tax, Jew, you are acquiescing to the government of Rome and you need to stand against the government of Rome and tell them what they are doing is wrong. You have rights to stand against it and you have a, a social responsibility to stand against the government because you know it's not right to tax us just being a Jew. I could argue for that, couldn't you? Well, the Bible teaches us, and Jesus does it through his apostles many times, obey the laws of the land. We are to submit ourselves unto every human institution, Peter, Jude, Timothy. I don't necessarily like to put on a seatbelt all the time, but I do because it's the law of the land. You may say, well, wait a minute, you're confusing the laws of the land and God's law. We are commanded by God, Romans 13, the powers that, or, that be are ordained by God and the powers that be as leaders in cities, towns, states, uh, countries are put there to make a safe place for good people to live and to punish people that want to cause bad. Did you know that? That's what our leaders are for. They're not to tell us a lot of other things that they try to tell us today. They're in place to punish evildoers, Romans 13, and to give us a peaceful place to live. Jesus told his people the Old Testament, when you go into a city, seek the peace of that city. Be a good citizen, he's saying. 
But they picked this question because if Jesus says, don't pay your tax, we got him. Rome can throw him in jail. Do pay your tax, those Jews are going to get mad because they are passionate. They've got opinions about this tax. I don't think we ought to have to pay it because there are a lot of laws that we have in the United States of America <coughs> that are not contrary to the word of God, you and I are supposed to obey those laws, whether we like them or not. Vote somebody into office, pass another law, and boy, we have every right to do that. We are never to obey the law of the land when it does what? When it goes against God's law. Because that overrides everything. Overrides everything. We are to obey the laws of the land. Have you studied Daniel lately? Daniel, okay, in captivity, okay, I'll learn your language, I'll wear your clothes, you can give me a new name, that's fine. We want you to eat the king's meat that's probably sacrificed to idols. Hold it. I'll learn your language, I will dress differently, I'll talk differently, I'll, I'll help in the country and do everything, but now you've asked me to do something contrary to God's word, and I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. We'll live in this, this pagan land. We're going to be good citizens. We're going to uh, work hard. We're going to obey the laws of the land. Well, if you don't bow down to this false image that Nebuchadnezzar set up, you're going to die. Hold it. The law of the land now tells me to break God's law, and I cannot do that. And see, that applies the same way for you and me today. Our highest authority and loyalty is God. So I'm supposed to you may say, well, I just don't want to, and I have strong opinions. Don't give up your strong opinions, please. Just don't drive on the left side of the road because you're going to hurt somebody if you do that. You may say, I like the left side a lot better than the right side. That's okay. Do that out in the country somewhere, but don't do it in, in the town because you're going to hurt somebody. Have strong opinions and hold on to those things, but don't let it divide you. I have a man that I respect very greatly. And um, he had family with different issues and different thoughts and opinions that were very strong. And he said this, even at the risk of not getting to be around his grandchildren some, he said, I will not let the opinions and preferences of my family divide my family. You know what he's saying? Watch out. It's a trap. The same way they're trying to trap Jesus. So it says, uh, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he knowing their hypocrisy. You know what a hypocrite is? It's somebody that talks bad about you for doing the very things they're doing. They accuse you of doing something and they do the same thing. Have you ever, have you ever had uh, thrown a birthday party or a, an honoring party, a commemorative party for a hypocrite? You're the best hypocrite I know and we're gonna celebrate 50 years of your hypocrisy. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Hypocrites don't have uh, friends because they tell you what to do, but they won't do it. Matthew 23, they bind Pharisees. You bind heavy burdens on other people and you wouldn't lift a finger to remove one yourself. He said, he, knowing their hypocrisy, uh, any of you, were any of you in debate in school? Did anybody ever, raise your hand if you were in debate class. You were great. You were good. I don't want to get argument with you guys. 
because you know how. You got some tools, don't you? You got some skills. What a debater knows how to do is to exploit the weakness of somebody they're debating. If you see a weakness in my argument, what are you going to do? You're going to come after that weakness, aren't you? Do we have any attorneys here? God bless you if you're attorney. You are. God bless you. Pray extra for him. Uh, no. Praise the Lord. I love the story about a man walking through the cemetery and he saw an epitaph on a tombstone that said, here lies a lawyer and an honest man. And his, his buddy said, oh, they're burying him two at a time now. <laughs> Think about that one. Right? <laughs> um, they came to Jesus and he, knowing their hypocrisy, if you're in a debate or you're an attorney, you're going to attack the weak of the person's oppositional statements. If you find an untruth in your opponent, you are going to exploit that. Aha, uh -huh, we caught you. You said this in early testimony. Now you said this later. It doesn't matter. And you're going to exploit that because that's a way you defeat the one that you're arguing against. You attack a weak spot. You enhance your strength, your argument, your points that you want to make. And you hope for an error. You're watching for an error by the opposing team. That's debate. That's trial law. Well, that's what they're doing to Jesus. They're hoping for an error. They're just hoping for the one who never committed an error. It says, he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? They weren't tricking Jesus at all. He was, I'm pretty naive. I really am. So y'all don't, don't come and tell me something tonight. I'm going to believe you. You could tell me something and, and ask me to help you, and I, I'm gullible. I've been that way all my life. I'm very, very trusting. But there are times when God just stirs inside my heart. And, and uh, by the way, my wife has something extra. My wife, in uh, 43 years of ministry, we've been married 33 years a few days ago. She's probably not listening tonight because she's heard me preach a lot of years. But, uh, boy, I love my wife. Not ashamed to say that. She's been a pastor's wife for 33 years and really years before that. And uh, she has stuck with me through the good times and the bad times and the fun times in church and the hard times in church. And I honor her. I'm grateful. They came testing Jesus, and it says, why are you testing me? But what, what I was going to say is, my wife many times has an intuition. I believe it's from the Lord. And she'll come and say, be careful about that situation. She wouldn't dare say it out to anybody but me. Watch that person. And you know what? She's batting a thousand. She hadn't missed it yet. Watch that person. Oh, no, I think they're great. Watch that person. They came testing Jesus. He said, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. It was a coin. It was the amount that a rural worker in that day got paid. It was a day's wage. So if you worked all day as a rural worker in the country in Israel that day, you got paid a denarius. He said, bring me one of them. They brought one. He said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Now, Caesar claimed to be God. He claimed to be the only king there was. They're talking to the king of kings and lord of lords, who's really the only king. And Jesus could have said, get his picture off there and put mine on there. He would have been right to do that. He didn't. He was not going to fall for the trap. 
He was not going to be naive, and you and I don't need to be naive either. Bring me that coin. Whose picture is this? Whose likeness and inscription? They said Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Give Caesar all that. But make sure you give God everything that God deserves. That was masterful. That is a beautiful answer that just silenced them. What are they going to say? We thought he was going to say, don't pay tax. He says, pay tax. He tells Peter, go fishing. There'll be, a, there'll be some, some money in that fish's mouth. Go pay it for you and me. He, did, he wasn't against the government. He wasn't breaking the law of the land. He could have opposed that. He could have said, you are wrong to tax the Jews just for being a Jew. It is wrong. And men and women, we can have strong opinions, and we can be right in those opinions, but we cannot let that divide us in the church. Jesus said, give Caesar what's got his name on it. Give it back to him. But give God what God deserves. And they were amazed at him. We have some things we're responsible to the government for that do not contradict the obligations of God. Can I say that again? You and I have things that we're responsible to obey from our government, from our laws of the land that are not contrary to God's word and we need to obey them. But I don't like it. I think it's wrong. I can have science to prove that it's wrong and uh, this, this uh, uh, study over here proves that it's wrong. It doesn't matter. You and I are commanded to obey the laws of the land unless they contradict God's word. Now, we don't need to do, will you bear with me just a second? We don't need to do theological gymnastics with the word of God. You know what I mean? We don't need to twist and bend to try to make the Bible kind of mean what we really hope to believe in our side of the argument and twist it to say what we want it. Be careful. Why are you testing me? Give to Caesar what's his, but give God what belongs to God. Listen to this. You've heard me say it before. You've heard Tommy say it. You've heard uh, people probably much say it. We cannot make right and left issues right and wrong issues. You have strong opinions. I respect your opinions. This very morning in a class, I talked with someone. They were asking questions about something. I said, sure, man, can I help you? What can I do? He asked me a question, and I said, yes, this is the way it is. Well, I want to tell you I'll never do this. His wife said, I probably will. I saw it right in front of my eyes, the division in their own family by very, very strong preferences. You were there, weren't you? Very strong preferences. And they're great Christian people. I love them. And I said, I respect your opinion. I respect that. Because it's a right and left issue. Right and left means you can do this or do this. Follow your conscience. Follow through prayer. Ask Jesus what he shows you to do. But don't make a right and left issue a right and wrong issue. Well, I don't think that anybody should homeschool. I don't think anybody should go to public school. You want to start a division? You can do that in any church you want to in America, right there. I've already started one. I respect both people's opinions. Go where God shows you to. 
and I shouldn't make a right or left. Some of you drive Fords. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do. But, and then there's some Dodge people. We don't talk about the Dodge people out there. But, but you will see me get into a gray Chevrolet Silverado Z71 pickup, Lord willing, unless somebody stole it uh, tonight. That's your opinion. That's my opinion. I'm not going to bash you and I'm not going to divide from you and I'm not going to mistreat you because you drive one of those inferior vehicles. Uh, I just won't do that. No, I'm just kidding. They're all good ones. They were amazed at him. They were amazed at him. Titus 3 says, be subject to the rulers and authorities. We need to obey the laws of our land. Uh, this man just walking in, would y'all, I don't want to put him on the spot, but Holly says, anytime I say, I don't want to put you on the spot, I put somebody on the spot. Dustin Whitmire's over our WANA program. Can everybody see him back there? You know what they're doing? They're pouring scripture into those children to teach them the word of God that can give them a foundation. Uh, where, is, uh, where is my friend that I said hello to right before the service started? There you are. How many verses? Can you remember how many verses you learned in Awana? You, you learned over a thousand. Don't listen to what she said at the end. Uh, no, she learned over a thousand verses in that Awana. Did you get something good out of that? You're a grown woman now. Did you hear that? The best foundation she had right there. Thank you for sharing that. Be a part of Awanas. Take your kids over there. Come to worship here. I'll let you out in time to go pick them up. Romans 13, the powers that be are ordained of God. 2 Timothy 1, pray for all men and be thankful for all men, especially kings and those that are in authority. But do you know what they believe? Do you know what they're doing to our country? I think I do. God's got that. Give Caesar what Caesar. Don't worry about earthly things. You trust in God. He's got it. Do you see the trap they set for him? And he masterfully answered it. He didn't say one way or the other that he, they thought he was going to say. And it silenced the ignorance of foolish men. One more trap, Mark 12, 18. Some Sadducees. Now, the first one were Pharisees and Herodians, Sadducees, who say that there's no resurrection. You know how you can remember who they are the rest of your life? The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. That's pretty Sadducee. The corny things that we hear the things that stick, aren't they? They say there's no resurrection and they came to Jesus. They represented the wealthy and the sophisticated class. The Pharisees were the strict observers of the law. These are the social elite. They were primarily interested in the temple and in the, in the, the administration of the temple. They denied the resurrection. They denied anything spiritual. They believed in only the first five books of Pentateuch. The first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you quoted anything else out of the Old Testament, they didn't listen to you. So they've got a trap. They're going to try to trick Jesus in a different way. The Pharisees try to tr trick him politically. And I want to tell you, with all the love I can have in my heart, you and I are trying to be tricked politically. And the enemy is laughing at us. When we follow one side of politics or this side of politics and we put all of our preferences up there and we divide the church over what kind of songs we sing. We're falling into the trap they tried to trick Jesus.
The second one, they're going to try to trick him theologically. It's not real wise to try to trick. Theology is the study of God. This is God that they're talking to. Look what it says. Uh, They began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us. They think we're going to call out Jesus on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, because there's nothing in the first five books of the Bible that talks about life after death, the resurrection. Hold on. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife, raise up children to his brother. That's Deuteronomy 25, 5. Isn't that interesting? A brother is married to a wife, he dies. The other brother says, so that woman can have her lands and possessions and she can still have a name. That brother's supposed to marry the brother's wife and take care of her. Now, if they're children, it's a little bit different. The children are supposed to rise up and take care of their mama. But if not, the husband's supposed to marry the sister, okay? Think about that. Think about that. When my older brother, my older brother's Rocky, he's seven years older than I am. When his wife, Cindy, read these verses, said, uh, if Rocky dies, you're supposed to, I need to keep Rocky healthy. (laughs) That was really nice, I thought it was. But if a man's brother dies, leaves behind a wife, leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife, raise up children to his brothers. There were seven brothers. I couldn't help but think about one of my favorite movies this week. Seven brides for seven brothers. This story, there's only going to be one bride for seven brothers. But uh, that old movie is a great old movie from the, uh, set in the 1850s. And you remember they, uh, Millie is a cook in the town and she marries Adam, who's a mountain man. She doesn't realize she's going back up the mountain and there's, there's six other brothers that have no cooth whatsoever. They have no etiquette and she teaches them all how to treat a lady and And it's a good story and a lot of fun in that movie. But they say there's been seven brothers. One leaves, the the brother should marry the wife. And in this case, if uh, it says in the first wife, uh, first took a wife, died leaving no children. The second one married her and died leaving behind no children. And the third likewise. And so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also in the resurrection The Sadducees don't believe in that. See, again, don't be tricked by rhetoric. Don't be tricked by tweets, Snapchats, Facebook posts. And I'm the first one to admit, I read some of those things and I I want to call down fire from heaven. I really do. I want to say, God, did this take care of it? it, I think God's up there saying, cool off, Mike. I got this. Don't worry about it. They're heels to die on. But render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Don't divide my church over your opinion or your preference. The second one married her. The third one married her. The fourth one married her. Now, two things I want to mention about that. First, the Sadducees must have thought they were so smart. They're taking Jesus to the first five books of the Bible. They don't think the resurrection's in there. He's going to show them it is in just a moment. Secondly, I don't know about you, but if I was husband number four, or five, and all of them had died before, would you want to ask some questions? You want, would you want to have somebody uh, check her profile just a little bit and do some investigation about marrying this woman? 
Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you're mistaken that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? Jesus did not coddle the enemy. And you and I don't need to coddle our young adults. These young adults are valuable to the church. They're valuable to our country. And when they say something because some professors taught them or somebody else has taught them, we don't need to coddle them like little babies. Oh, here, let me give you a trophy. And I do, we just love you and you can call yourself whatever you want to. No, we don't need to coddle them. We need to love them enough to tell them the truth. I grew up where there was a mile-long bridge over our lake on the west side of the town, a mile long. I used the illustration many times. If I knew that that bridge fell in right in the middle, and I knew people that drove over that bridge were going to drive into the lake, drown, and die, would I love them enough to do anything I could to get their attention and tell them the bridge is out? Yes. I would not be politically correct with them. I would be jumping up and down because I love them enough. I don't want them to go to their death. We have coddled one another. We're so afraid in our churches to say the truth. And I'm talking to myself. I'm not being belligerent. And Oh my goodness, we've gotten so soft in our country. Notice what our Lord said. Jesus said, isn't this the reason you are mistaken? You are wrong. Now, he didn't say you're wrong because you don't eat the same kind of foods I do. You're wrong because you don't wear the same kind of clothes I do. It's not opinions. It's not preferences. He says you're wrong because you're against God's law. You're against God's word. <clears throat> and he says you do not understand the scriptures or the powers of God. This would have been one of the greatest rebukes and offense to these religious leaders because they claim to be the ones who knew the truth of God and had the power of God. Jesus said, you don't have either one. <clears throat> For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Angels are not uh, sexual human beings. They do not procreate. We're not getting a bunch of more angels, a new crop of them. They're not having babies. And when we get to heaven, we are going to worship God as part of the bride of Christ. I know that is surprising to many people. I won't see my husband or my wife up there. You sure you'll see him? You'll see him in a better way than you ever saw him as a husband and wife. But he said it's going to be different in heaven. We're going to be like the angels in heaven. Now remember, these Sadducees don't even believe in heaven, but they're trying to trick him with a word, a question about heaven. But regarding, what does your Bible say the next thing? Regarding the, the fact and that's where you and I need to stand. We don't need to be persuaded by feelings. We need to stand on the facts of God's word. Regarding the fact that the dead rise again, this sweet lady that I just prayed for and her family, Kay, had a beautiful smile. She was a nice, nice lady. She's gonna rise again. And that's a fact. And the devil can't stop it and the church can't stop it, and another human can't stop it. These are the facts of God's word. And Jesus said, regarding this fact that the dead rise again, we ought to be just as plain in our speech. Don't coddle. Don't apologize for being a Christian. Don't be abusive. We don't take the Bible and hit somebody over the head with it and slap them a few times. No. Did you know the New Testament says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance? When I have been kind 
against nature when somebody's been very unkind to me have been some of the most special times of my life because it breaks their heart. It breaks their heart. And they come back in a few days or a few moments saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A soft answer turns away wrath. That's Bible. That's a fact. Regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses? Oh, you mean he's going to use their argument against them? In the book of Moses, Jesus said, well, let's just go there if you want to. Let's go to the Pentateuch, first five books. Moses didn't write it, by the way. I wrote it. The Holy Spirit wrote it through Moses. Let's go to the book of Moses, same place they quoted. The passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Is that not masterful? Is that not beautiful? Jesus said, when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush on the side of the mountain, I am. Who are you, Lord? I am the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, God's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they've already died, but they're still alive. You know what? Jesus proved the resurrection in the first five books of the Bible, the very thing they could not comprehend. You know what you always can trust? The truth. Have you ever been in a group where somebody said, let's get our story straight? You say this and I'll say this and we gotta make sure we tell the same thing. You never have to worry about that if you just tell the truth. I was listening to somebody the other day and they were saying, what are we gonna say? They're gonna ask us questions, what are we gonna say? And I heard this person say, you know what? Just tell the truth. You don't ever have to worry about what you said. You don't have to worry about what lie you told. You don't have to worry about making up for it or remembering, you just tell the truth. The truth is always the truth. And men and women, no matter what age we are here tonight, it doesn't make any difference. Young people, no matter how young, there's a lot of things and a lot of people are going to tell you what the truth is. But I want to tell you, God tells us his word is true. This Bible has never failed me. I've been young and now I'm not young anymore. And it's never failed me, not once. It's never failed me on the days that I was hurting, I was sick, and I was in pain. Mentally, physically, uh, it's never failed me when I was questioning what was going on in my life. It's never failed me in my family. When I stood at the gravesides of a sister who committed suicide or my dear mother who died of an ugly disease, this Bible was right here with me. It's never failed me. It's never failed me when I went to college and I heard things I'd never heard before from professors that I never dreamed would say those things. I just checked it out with God's word and it never failed me. This Bible's never failed me even when I messed up so badly and I disappointed Jesus and I had to repent and say, Lord, forgive me, I've sinned. The Bible's still there. It didn't run out on me. It was still there. It's never failed. Jesus says in John 17, thy word is truth. You can base your life on this. It'll never change. It's always right. Two different traps were set for Jesus. And in a brilliant way, Jesus closed the mouths of those who were trying to trick him and trap him. He says, I, God didn't say I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. It's still okay to say you're wrong. 
Our country's trying to convince us we can't stand up for the truth. But if I stand up for the truth, it's going to cost me this or I'll have to quit this. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Give him back whatever he wants. Just give God what God deserves, and that's everything. So I want to encourage you, and you encourage me. I just want to encourage you that we be the church more than ever. We as the church, would you hold on to this and we'll pray. We need to answer ourselves and the world with the facts of God's word. 4,500 years worth of the truth right here. It's changed our world. It's never changed itself. It's always been the same. Well, my gender, no, God created them male and female. That's the only two. The only two there will ever be. Everything else is confusion. Everything else is sinful and evil. I will not coddle. And we as a church must not coddle. We, we must say you're mistaken. You're mistaken. You're wrong. But I love you enough. Are you hungry? Let's go get something to eat. Are you afraid? I'll come be with you. You need some clothes? I got extra in my closet. My son went to a Christian institution, and I want to tell you, everybody that goes to a Christian college isn't saved. He called me one night, and he said, Dad, my roommate's an atheist. And I said, Son, well, just, just love him, pray for him, but if he has questions, he wants answers. God's Word has all the answers. If I don't know the answers, I'll find somebody that does, and we'll... We'll give him, ask him to write down those, those questions he has. But, and then I told my son, his name's Clancy, and I said, Clancy, you know what? Just love him to death. Just love him so much in spite of his sins and in spite of your sins that he can't deny you're living like Jesus did. I pray for that young man that he'll become a Christian one day and be saved. We, as the church, need to answer ourselves and others, the world, with the facts of God's word. Listen to this. With so many opinions, it seems so important to each one, and you and I could really talk about it. I believe this, I believe it strongly, and I don't think you ought to do this, and I think it's a conspiracy of the government, and I think they're wrong, and I think we, is there not a lot of those things out there right now? And I respect every one of your opinions. That is great. If it's a right and left issue, do what God shows you. But don't demonize someone who believes opposite from you. I've told you before, I don't like cauliflower. I'm thinking about starting a new political party thou, and a theological one. Thou shalt not ever eat cauliflower. It's bad for you. Don't you I can't stand the way it smells when, when it's cooking. But... I've asked you before, how many of you like cauliflower? Raise your hand. I'm not looking. Oh, God bless you. I love you. Pray for you. I am not going to let what you like to eat cause me to mistreat you. Silly, isn't it? Well, it is pretty silly because we're dividing over everything except what we ought to be dividing over. I'm divided against everybody that's against this book. That's the fault. We should not let our preferences become precepts. We should not let our likes become law. We need to respect each other's right or left decisions and hold fast to God's right and wrong commandments. Don't make right and left decisions right and wrong decisions. I love you. 
and I just want to tell you the truth. And by the way, pray for my brother's health, Rocky, that uh, he doesn't die, okay? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. They tried to trap the master, and he masterfully destroyed their arguments. But Lord, truthfully, we're facing this in our day. Our children are facing it at school. Our teachers and our administrators in schools, Lord, we pray for them. They have such a tough job right now. They're being told by lawyers and politically correct people that they have to do this. We're being told by our scientists and our medical community, some things, and our doctors and nurses, they're put in terrible positions they're, they're pulled one direction or another, told if they don't do this, or they'll lose their, jo their job, or if they do do this, or they'll lose their job. And, and Lord, our world's in a mess. It's upside down. Oh, Lord, forgive us. We've all failed you so much, but help us just to be like Jesus. To tell the truth, to hold fast to the truth. Uh, Father, I just pray for these people that have come to the evening service tonight because I believe you brought them here for a reason and I love them. Help me to love them the way I should. Help me to honor them, respect them. And everything that they have preferences or likes, if they like different kind of music than I do, God bless them. If they like different kinds of, different opinions and everything, God bless them, Lord. But when it comes to your word, help us to come together on solid ground that we agree. We agree. Thy word is truth. Would you bless again the visitors that are here tonight? Bless these college young men and women. We want to serve them and be their church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.